Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of directed video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Rock and Roll High School Forever. joining us on 1991 Movie Rewind. Rock and Roll High School Forever is a sequel that follows Jesse Davis and his punk crew of friends in their quest to be the best school band possible and have the Eradicators play the senior prom. Their penchant for destruction and pranks gets them into trouble with the incoming hard-nosed claw-handed vice principal Dr. Vader. Can the band outsmart the adults and avoid detention? Screenplay by Deborah Brock directed by Deborah Brock, and released on home video on May 23rd, 1991. Have you seen Rock and Roll High School forever before? Yes, I have. I had not. Oh, okay. I think I... I'd seen parts of Rock and Roll High School oh. uh, on like AMC or on cable, but uh, definitely saw the video cover all the time working at the video store, uh, but never picked it up to watch it myself. Um, yeah, this was on a lot. This was another movie that I don't want to say I watched it as much as Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, but it was on a lot and I just watched it. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. It must not have been on the channels that I was watching or I just purposefully avoided it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I will say this is the very first movie that we've covered that is straight to video. Did not have a theatrical release at all. Um, and it's the first in our series of three back-to-school type movies that we're, we're doing as a little mini-series here. So we're starting in high school, and then we'll uh, carry on to get you back ready for the school year. Um, so yeah, this movie was supposed to come out in the theater, mm-hmm. but apparently got scrapped, uh, possibly most likely because of Corey Feldman's arrest. The yeah. star is Corey Feldman. He got arrested for uh, heroin possession. Um, and I think that sort of put that plan to rest. And it went to video where it had, I'm assuming, some success. I have no idea. There's no really good way to to measure, you know. We don't have rental charts. We don't have, like, rental, yeah. you know. So we don't know how successful it was. Um. So what did you think of the movie back then? And I, what do you think of it now? Uh, I I thought, you know, okay, I watched... When I was watching that movie, it was also... I don't know if there was, like, back-to-back movies where I thought they were just, like, weird, but I liked them because they were weird, and it gave me, like, a John Waters vibe. Okay. Like, I, I really, you know, I really like Crybaby, and then this is kind of like another teen high schooly sort of like a Crybaby. Sure, I understand. 
That makes sense. Like the the band of misfits type of thing, like messing with their high school. Yeah, and like just doing weird stuff just to be weird. Yeah. And having very quirky characters who, you know, they're sort of unpredictable. Um, yeah, I, I understand that vibe. Um, so this is my first time seeing it. I would say that if I saw it as a young, you know, kid or you know a teenager i think i would have loved it yeah which yeah (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) coming at it uh with no preconceived notions we had seen rock and roll high school a couple days earlier um which wasn't great but i definitely understood its place in history especially occult film history right yeah um this i don't I, I don't get the... I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that just went nowhere in this movie. And so, like, looking at it with, like, a critical eye, um, it was trash. But it's the kind of trash that I would have loved as a kid. Yeah. So. I mean, I... I when I was... Wa- I think... <laughs> when we were watching both, I, I, like, I still like this one more than the first one. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I don't. Okay. <laughs> And I think partly my sense of humor is some of the things I like more is is like the uh, the avant garde type of stuff like the you know just like the weird the trippy the and like the first one Rock and Roll High School about the Ramones had a lot of those things that it was like a live action cartoon at times where there were things that were not physically possible in nature or in the real world that were happening in that movie like the paper airplane going in one locker and coming out another one oh, and like going all okay. kinds of other different places the fact that like the mice were exploding or the fact you know the fact that there were giant mice mm, in the world the, yeah and stuff like that like you know that kind of like um quirky stuff that was in there you know that that made it better for me and okay. plus just the music was better i'm not really a big ramones fan like at all but i could at least like appreciate what they were doing and it looked like it was a really good concert that they were putting on even though i didn't care too much about the music itself it was a better backdrop whereas this um it's early 90s alternative which is very hit or miss and it's a lot of Corey feldman so i think i think this movie probably would have been better served if there were a central band to sort of um, revolve the plot around instead of having a high school band if they would have had like another type of Ramones but I have a feeling um, that they probably didn't because Corey Feldman was there and he wanted to well, exude his musical right, abilities and, and be the center right. forefront instead of some other band like hey I can sing as well yeah so like, why not Yep, I'm trying to make it as a musician to some degree, so... I mean, yeah, at that time he was, like, friends with Michael Jackson, so he, it's like he wanted to be that next star. Yeah. Well, not that type of star, because, I mean, he's like a child... But he wanted to be a pop star. Yeah, he's like a child actor, and then I think he wanted to move... I don't know too much. I mean, even now, to this day, he still has his own band, I think. 
Yeah, as far as I know. Yeah, he tours. I know he has, like, I know at least a couple years ago he had his angels or whatever. I, I mean, I didn't really follow it, but I know he has, like, his band. Yeah. And they have a cult following, just like I'm assuming this film has something of a yeah, cult yeah. following. Um, one of my friends from college is a big fan of Corey Feldman and his band, so I know that there are fans out there. Um, but yeah, I, I think, um, and in terms of like the Michael Jackson influence, that's very evident, especially in the early scenes with his style and his hair. And like when right, and then the way he's sort of dancing, just yes. the... he's just imitating his moves, like right, the spinning around and mm-hmm. not really grabbing his crotch, but I think he would have if it wasn't like a PG movie. Yeah, which is weird that this is a PG thirteen movie, and it's weird that the original was a PG movie too. I don't know. It feels like like the first one should have been PG thirteen, but I mean, we sort of talked about that with like Doc Hollywood how. I mean, that was PG-13, and they showed a full frontal nudity scene. Yeah. It's like... But this is very tame. This is something that, like... I mean, this this is PG-13 to me, because they don't really swear, and they don't really have nudity. Right. I'm just saying, would it have been... When you think of, like, cult movies, and you think of, like, these types of things, I don't know. When you think about, like, punk rebellion high schoolers, I don't think one step above Nickelodeon. You know, I think of, like, an R-rated movie of, like, raunchy. Well, I think more American Pie I mean, they do show them, like, blowing up a school. That, I mean, I mean to, yes. now that's, like, you, that's, you, you can't do that. No. I, I mean, they even say it in the movies, like, do not try to attempt these pranks. Yeah, they put a fake warning at the beginning. It's like, oh, if you do these pranks, you can get detention hall for life. Like, right. You know, they're yeah, setting the tone. But it is, I don't know, it's like, it's one step above Nickelodeon in terms of, like, edginess. I don't know. It's very preteen in terms of its, you know, the way it tackles its subject matter. Um, Which isn't a bad thing. It just means that it doesn't land for an adult who has not seen it before. But if I were a preteen, I would probably appreciate it a lot more. Yeah. I would have liked it more. Um, so it is definitely a sequel. They talk about that pretty much early on. Um, the early one uh, took place at, uh, oh gosh, I forgot the name of the... What, the high school? Yeah, the original. The Vince Lombardi, Vince Lombardi. Yeah, I knew it was a football coach, but I couldn't remember exactly what one. So it was a Vince Lombardi high school. That, spoilers for the first one, blew up. Um, and now it's Ronald Reagan High School in the second one, and they start off by saying, well, first, Corey Feldman's talking to the camera. He's addressing the camera, and he's like, they hate it when I do this. And, mm. like, they, you know, they all flush the toilets all at the same time, and they, um, causes, the whole... Yeah, it causes the pipes to burst or whatever. Right, like while flooding. they're having some sort of, like, board meeting, um, with all these different adults none of them were the principal so i don't know who they are like a, i don't even know there's mr like cheese a and, and a table of other people with last names that were cheese related right but other than that i don't know what their That's place were because I was like are they teachers or is this like a pta like parent teacher I, I don't know and they never really explain it but um the pipes pipes burst and then they get 
every student to round into the halls and like run out of the school and like, oh, it's rock and roll high school day. This is the day where you can do whatever. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, so it's like senior skip day or something like that. Um, and then the plot from there is very, really kind of sketchy. <laughs> so the principal, who is Mr. McGree, not Mr. Cheese. Mr. Cheese I don't think is ever seen again. Yeah, I don't know. Um, he's the principal, but they bring in this person, Dr. Vader, to be the vice principal to prevent Rock and Roll High School Day from happening in the future. But mm-hmm. then at some point in the movie, they're like, oh, well, we're seniors, we're graduating in a couple of weeks, so, you know, like, they're talking about, like, giving up and letting the vice principal win because, oh, they're, you know, they're going to graduate in a couple of weeks. So yeah. who cares? So, like, but Rock and Roll High School Day has already happened for that year. Yeah. So what is she really preventing? Because well, it's she, not going I to happen to that degree preve- anymore. preventing these kids to... Well, because she makes that list. Like, no kids are allowed to have fun, basically. Yeah, you get demerits for doing certain things. and Like singing, dancing, and then one of them was just having fun. Yeah. Like, like you get in trouble for having fun. I think just for the rest of the school year... Yeah, it Which just is only like a month. I don't know. Yeah, it, it, yeah, very loose plot. But I don't. Yeah, I mean, um, it's a very simple movie. Yeah, there's just a lot of things that just don't make sense to me. <laughs> Again, looking at it with a critical eye, I didn't understand why Corey Feldman's character was talking to the camera and addressing it. It happens like two or three times, and I think one other character also makes note that yeah. You, the audience is there looking in on their lives but it doesn't go anywhere it's there's no point to it it just happens it doesn't there's no exposition with it it's not a narration device it's just like look what i'm about to do and then he does a thing yeah i mean i think for i think this is like a what you're saying like a this wouldn't be on Nickelodeon, but yeah, I mean, me, who I was like 10 or 11 watching this, you're like, yeah, I don't know, you're like rooting for these fucking yeah, misfits to, to do it. Like, he's talking to the kids who are watching. It must be. Yeah, it must be like <laughs> some sort of And then the kids to... are like engaging. They're like, hey, look at how wacky, look at what we do, but like, don't do this. Yeah, but they aren't. They aren't really saying don't do this. I, they, they, they aren't. But in the beginning of the movie, it's like I know. Don't but even attack that these is things. kind of not saying it is. Yeah, um, it's not like the jackass warning. It's more like much more tongue in cheek than that. So, but yeah, it must be just like a little wink and a nod to the kids. Like, hey, this is our little secret. You're watching it. Yeah. I know you're watching it. Maybe. But it was so infrequent that it was weird. Beyond that, um, I don't know how much to talk about the plot because there's like not much plot really at all. It's just like a series of like tiny scenes with various characters that just end up lasting an hour and a half. Um, and there's like a couple like important parts and then the rest of it is just kind of there. Um, the Eradicators, as a band, is like Corey Feldman's crew, Jesse Davis's crew. Um, there's quite a few of them. There's, what, like five people in the band? 
Yeah. And I don't know if they, they aren't given much to do throughout the whole movie. I was kind of, I don't know. Really? Well, I mean, think about it. Okay, so you have, um, here's the crew. You got Mag, who I think is really like the lead, the second lead, right? Mm-hmm. He's he's like the uh, Magnuson whatever. Um, the guy who kind of looks like Corey Haim. Yeah. Uh, played by Evan Richards. Um, we have, uh, Stella, the girl with the bowl cut. And then you have, uh, Jones, Jones, and and then you have, uh, Namrock. Namrock. But like, Stella has like two lines in the movie. Namrock has like two lines in the movie. I think Jones helps Mag out with some stuff. Yeah. And Mag does most of the other stuff. Like, they make it seem like it's a big crew thing and they're all, like, they're all equal. They but they aren't given equal it. stuff. I don't know. They, they don't all contribute, is my point. They don't all have equal parts. I don't know. Like, it, maybe I'm overthinking things. This is just... To me, this is just a silly-ass movie. Like, I know this is not, like, high art and, like, an Oscar-worthy movie. Well, I understand that. It's just... I think... Like, I don't know. (laughs) But, like, if you Um, introduce a crew of people, I want to see more of these people doing stuff for the crew. I mean, you got... And they don't. You got Jones. He's kind of, like, the one that does, like, all the gadgets and stuff because yeah he's they the show him that... do a gadget thing at the beginning and he's like you know it's basically this high school band that just really wants to play they want to be famous because they call into this rock show and it's like name your favorite band so jones sets up this thing where he has these random phone calls come into the show from random phone numbers and random people saying, my favorite band is the Eradicators. The the Eradicators. So, I I mean, that's his thing. Yeah, but that's like a one thing. Like, why not set it up so that he uses that tech knowledge and ability to mess with Dr. Vader later on? That never happens. The only other thing he does is he throws a couple firecrackers in the lockers and he sprays the fire extinguisher on the cement to make the I car I mean, they sit. all kind of, like, That's near it. the end, they all kind of help because they're all, you know, at the end, they're, um, they want to get back at, like, these preppy, you know, students. I just wanted a team with, like, you know, they all have their own abilities and their own, like, specialties and then put those specialties to use. That's what I wanted out of it. Okay, I don't know. Whatever. And it didn't I don't happen. know. And, and like Stella, I mean, did they got together near the for, like, end. Eavesdrop. Maybe that was her thing. Like I she guess. was like, "Hey, she's like, I don't want to see the mole or whatever." She's just kind of like, "Hey, th- I heard this from this person," and then they're like, "Okay, let's do something about it." I don't know. Right, but that could be anybody. Is my point. Like, but that's their group Stella of five didn't need friends. To exist as a character, if that role could have been done by any of them. That was her specific role, I guess. I know that's her specific role, but I'm saying it was pointless. She didn't didn't need to be I mean, she's just kind of like the, quote, weird girl that, you know, all these other, like, preppy girls hate. And she's kind of like, you know, she she doesn't say much, but she does like to mess with them by just 
she comes up with these one-liners that really, like, you know, shoot them down. Kind of like, I don't know, Silent Bob or some shit. I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, but there's a other <clears throat> weird girl, Tabitha, who's introduced a little bit, you know, like yeah. a third of the way in the movie, who's like the witch's daughter. Um, and she has a much more substantial part, and, and she is much weirder than Stella. They could have been combined, possibly, even. I don't know. I'm oh, just trying like, to think. You know what I mean? Like, like they could have been friends, or she could Yeah, she could have been in the band, and, you know, you could just have the love stuff happen between Mag and Tabitha regardless. I don't know. It doesn't have to be, like, a meet-cute or whatever with them driving past the witch's house and him stealing the <clears> broom <throat> and returning it and whatnot. Um, so, I mean, like, Tabitha had a bigger role than Stella did. And that's part of my point is like, you know, the band that's supposed to be this core of the movie, a lot of them are just kind of pushed to the side. Namrock, he does like some Kung Fu punches and kicks here and there, like once or twice. Once he just like jumped and like slashed the wire to the camera. Mm. That didn't actually require any Kung Fu or anything. That was just like jumping and like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So he didn't even get to use his like actual abilities as a Kung Fu artist at any point in the movie. Um, his big contribution is the pee scene. Yeah. Which is the best scene in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, I don't know, like I said, like, they sort of set it up so they have their skills and they're just, you know... I think... Never forgotten. I I don't know, maybe... I I mean, they, they just seem like people that like to pull off random pranks. Yeah. And just, you know, mess with their teachers whenever yeah. they can yeah like I just a wanted... normal like what most teenagers do in their lives i don't know i just wanted more creative ways to mess with them or more focused ways of messing with them that had to do with like their personalities i don't know maybe yeah maybe i'm hoping for too much from the person who wrote and directed slumber party massacre 2 uh which is deborah brock um and that's the worst of the Slumber Party Massacre trilogy, in my opinion. We've seen them all. We've seen them all, but I, you don't they, all, they all kind of blend. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, number two is the one with, where um, there's a musician who is infiltrating um, uh, the, girl from Dream, uh, the girl from Wings' dreams. What's her name? I don't know. The blonde girl from Wings. I know who you're talking about, but I don't know her name. She's the star of the movie. She's having dreams about, like, this rock star who's also a murderer, and he has a guitar with a drill at the end of it. And then he comes to life through her dreams, like Freddy Krueger, and, like, terrorizes the people. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's still... I think this... It's just silly, I think. See, I kind of, like, compare this to, like... John Waters still because that's to me that's all silliness and I like it and then this is like silly weird stuff and I like it yeah but John Waters has like structure and plot and purpose mixed in with like the camp and you know like it's there's a there's a better execution to the cult type of thing (laughs) oh I was talking about yeah I was was complaining about Slumber Party Massacre too (laughs) And I wanted to use that as a transition to show that they had, like, Mojo Nixon in this movie. Is uh-huh. like, have a dream sequence with, like, a rockabilly guy, this honky-tonk, uh, Mojo Nixon, who I honestly don't know anything about. I don't know how familiar like, you are with... Like, very little. I mean, I, I know who he is. 
But I've never really listened to his stuff. Yeah, I didn't know either. Or I, I didn't know at all. Oh. Uh, but there's at some point, a, a, he plays the spirit of rock and roll. Um, and he comes to Corey Feldman in a dream, basically saying that he has to do things. And he sing, sings a song called High School is a Prison. Yeah, he's um, like, <laughs> it's just, I mean, that's kind of like the dream sequence in the first movie where the girl puts on an, uh, a Ramones right record and she right. kind of falls asleep and then and the, the ramones, ramones appear and like kind of watch her t- yeah they take a shower basically they seem to her watch her take a shower and watch her take a shower because she's stoned and yeah uh, yeah so i think that's like his scene right dream sequence scene yeah i think that's that's what they're sort of going for and they brought in something of a big name um uh, from what I understand, I mean, he does have something of following, or did for that for that time. Um, he had released a song called "Elvis Is Everything," which I guess is probably his biggest song. I don't know it, but um, we'll try to put it on the website if we can. Uh, he got some play from Doctor Demento, even so, he has that that type of audience as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and Wesley Willis even wrote a song about him called Mojo, Mojo Nixon. Nixon. Yeah. So I didn't know that, but um, he also played Toad in the Super Mario Brothers movie. Okay. Just weird. I have not seen that since I was a kid. I'm kind of <laughs> curious neither, about it. Me neither, and I, I didn't remember there was a toad in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Evidently, it's Mojo Nixon. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's weird stuff that happens off and on in this movie, but a lot of it is just, like, random scenes that don't go too far. Or, or they're just, like, they set up jokes that don't happen. Like, there's situations where they, you know... Um... I don't know, they, they introduce a situation and they're like, man, that was crazy, right? And the guy's just like, yeah. And then they just cut. I don't know, like, there's too many of those things that are happening where they they don't try to be funny through the dialogue at all. Mm. They just try to be funny through the situations or they have, like, a food fight or they're trashing the prom or, you know, the dance or whatever or they're, you know causing havoc uh, yeah i see yeah i mean yeah, when, in the beginning where they're playing at a dance yeah it's like a a pre-prom yeah it's just i mean every school has multiple dances throughout the year right? i know but but yeah i forgot what this one's called i just wrote down that it was weird that like your introduction to the eradicators was them playing fats domino well, yeah, they're they're playing <laughs> and like the preppy yuppie girl is like, what is this? I hate it. Like, I don't know. Like, like well, as if it was like hardcore thing, rock and like, roll. It's like the music that they want to hear because they do take a music class and it's about classical music. It's like yes, but that's also like a call to the first movie as well. When that music teacher, the one that finally like goes to the Ramon show, is like, yeah, mm-hmm. I like the Ramon. like he's teaching classical music, so it's like right. they're only allowed to listen to classical music. I, maybe that is what's happening, but it's not. And she's like, "Why are they playing rock and roll?" Like I don't that, know. That's... That wasn't on the approved list. Yeah. Of, of songs. Yeah, I don't remember which which con. I guess I didn't. The... <laughs> okay, I mean the one thing that really. Like bothered me (laughs) but i was like whatever about it Mm -hmm. was whenever they were on stage like you know they eventually do play the prom 
Well, okay, so they, it's like these bands audition to play the prom. Yeah. And then, you know, Dr. Vader has already told them that they are banned from playing, like, any music anywhere, and they are not playing the prom. Mm -hmm. So they come up with a plan to be another band. So they're called, like, some, I forgot already, if you know. It was, like, Muskrat or something. Something like, I did not write it down. Oh, okay. And, but... These people have been going to the same high school for four years together. They come on stage. They they know who they are. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're like, oh, that's not that band. That's still the Eradicators. Well, the only people who care are Dr. Vader and, you know, Whitney and, and the Yuppie gang. Yeah, but they were and the they people. they always arrive to their own functions way later. Yeah, but they were the people that were like, okay, let's have this band play then. And then they show up. Well, it was, it was, it was the, the band who got the most votes. Yeah, and right? it was their band. It was the Eradicators as, you know, whatever that the made-up name was. Yeah. But, but Dr. Vader couldn't vote because they did pranks to pull her away. And right. And Whitney would have gotten outvoted But by these the other people. people who are voting, they are like teachers and stuff. Right. Including Whitney, who right. has been to the same high school as these five people for four years, I'm assuming. Yeah. They, she can't be like, isn't that the Eradicators? Right. That's what I'm trying to say. I see. Uh, I mean, we don't know if Whitney knew about the ban. She probably did. I don't know. I mean, but she yeah, I mean, hired them the first time. Nothing makes sense in this That was movie. the only thing that bothered me, because she's like, who are these people? Like, every time she saw them on stage, she's like, who are they? But maybe that's just because they're meant to be, like, vapid, whatever, maybe. preppy people. I remember when they finally got to start <laughs> playing at the actual prom. Yeah. Um... Corey Feldman's character had a wig on that he yeah. pulled off immediately. Yeah, but and like, then was she... that the disguise? I don't remember him having a disguise at the audition. But maybe no, he, he didn't had... at okay. the audition. Well, then I don't know. But then he does when they do play the prom because, well, they get another. Well, they find out eventually that the Eradicators were this, were really them. Yeah. And then they got that, what was it, a thousand little kisses? This, zillion kisses. Oh, a zillion kisses. A zillion kisses. Yeah, they were they supposed were to supposed play. They were supposed to play, but then, you know, obviously the Eradicators, like, told them the wrong day. You know, pranked them. Yeah, yeah. Told them the wrong day or wrong time or wrong location. Yeah, Eagle Bauer, who we have not, talk, who we have not talked about at all, um, he He's leads like, them to a different area okay, of the school. Okay, and then... And but and then his character, I mean, there's an Eagle Bauer in the first movie. Yes, played by Clint Howard. Yes, and I was like, is okay in the first movie. Is he supposed to be a high school kid, or because an Eagle Bauer? Clint Howard, is, I think, is yes. I think Clint Howard is supposed to be for sure. So in the second movie, it's like this dude. He looks like a thirty year old guy that just does random stuff out of his garage. Yeah. So it's obvious that he's not a high school kid. But it's not out of the garage. That's the weird thing. Like, so, so this is like one of the, this is like one of the cool things that I liked about the original. Like, you know, the, one of those weird um, play with your mind type of things. Like, everyone's lining up in the bathroom. Yeah. And he has a secretary set up in the bathroom. Yeah. And then you go into the stall and it's this giant office. Right. right? So like, you know, like, 
that's the quirkiness of the original. This one, it comes out of nowhere because they don't do any of that kind of shit up until this point. And now here they go into the bathroom, and there's a secretary there. Yeah. And they say, oh, we have to go see Eagle Power. Who the fuck is Eagle Power if you've never seen the first one? Right. And then they go into the bathroom stall, and yeah, it's like this giant warehouse. Yeah, now, he's like in some weird sudden. garage type place. And so and like... I was like, it's... Yeah, like it, they're clearly he's trying... On, he cannot be a student, because that dude is old. Yeah, probably not. But they're they're trying to pay homage to the first one, but right, there's like no setup, and like, you know, there's no discussion about who Eagle Bauer is or anything like that up to that point, and nothing like that in terms of like playing with space and having a secretary that's stationed in a bathroom. None of that type of stuff has happened in this movie since, or before. So it just was weird. There, This movie's types of quirkiness was the appliance worship. Yeah. Which we should talk about probably at some point. <laughs> okay, if you want. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, you know, just to get back to the whole Eagle Bauer thing, like, yeah, like, it, it didn't make sense, and we didn't know who he was. They never really explained, like, what he does for the school so much. I guess, like, because in the first one, he's, like, working on generating fake IDs and giving you hall passes and, like, bypassing all the rules of the school and setting people up on dates and whatever. Here, they yeah. just go to him because they want help with the prom. And he's kind of, like, the king of pranksters or something. Yeah, and they don't... Yeah. He's the one that comes up with the idea of just like filming these, you know, the preppy kids, and then also Doctor Vader and yeah. like, hor- like in random situations <laughs> with those massive cameras that for some reason right. none that of are them like saw. in their faces. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> a couple <laughs> yards away, giant, giant, like honestly the size of like a tv station camera and they're able to get multiple angles right this, and able to <laughs> i cut mean but they all like have the cameras had. and they're all coming from different angles supposedly angle yeah even though you following you know mostly the the yuppies or the the preppy kids and you know it's like four there's like four preppy kids and it's like two guys two girls you know each they're each in a couple mm-hmm and then they catch, like, you know, one of them cheating on the other and stuff like that. One of the girls is, like, you know, her throwing up on a teacher. And then they, you know, make a video out of it and they show it at prom. And everyone's cracking up, including the teachers. And somehow they knew that was going to happen because the way they made that happen is Stella ate, like, sushi pretending it was she was eating the dissected frog. And then right. she ran out of the classroom to throw up, but they knew that was going to happen, so they were ready for the camera. They were setting it up because that that was they probably thought about that ahead of time. They're like, okay, you pretend like we're going to be dissecting frogs this day. But it's still they like, somehow know that Whitney hates dissecting animals. It's still a leap in logic to assume that she would throw <laughs> up. Yeah, <laughs> I know. She, or that she throw up in the hallway and not in the classroom right then and there. Right. Yeah, I don't know, but. I don't know. The, Whatever. The, they came up with that prank. <laughs> it's it's comedy logic. Just go with it. Yeah, and then, you know, they they knew that she was going to throw up somehow <laughs> and followed her down the hallways until she, like, projectile vomits in a teacher's face. Yeah. And then they show it during prom because they have, like, video screens set up on the stage and so they hook into the video footage and show that to him. Yeah, just to them and... embarrass them. Cause, I mean, they're just, 
all they're doing is just pranking people throughout this movie. Yeah, I mean, they're causing actual property damage and stuff like that, too. I mean, at the end. Well, before that, I mean, they're, well, you know, the, hooking up the... The toilets. Yes, the toilets. Um, Which, I mean... When they attach... they need a plumber after that? When they uh, attach the, uh, the, the, the chain-link fence to the car and it gets all pulled uh, away. okay. Stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean... When they just, like, started wrecking that dance and just, like, flipping tables and, like, throwing shit all over the place. Yeah. Like, out of nowhere. And then they expect to get away scot-free and they aren't punished. Like I think they're just, just like, I don't know, that's just, it's like, we don't know what to do with these kids type of thing. That's yeah. why they brought in this vice principal, but. Yeah, the, the other weird thing about this movie that, that's different than the original is that in the original, all of the students are on the side of the students, and it's just the adults that are the bad guys, except for, like, the hall monitors, who aren't really students, they're just, they're monitoring the halls the whole time. Like, those are the only two, like, young people mm-hmm. who are on the side of law and order. Now, you have, like, these yuppie people that, you know, you have to also combat on top of Dr. Vader. So that was weird. Um, but let's get back to appliance worship. Okay. <laughs> I honestly thought that that was going to go somewhere. I thought that that was like... I, I think that's just them messing with other people. Yeah, it's just setting up this weird dynamic and just just trying to provide like a quirky scene that's memorable. Th- and then it's also, I mean, this is around the... Because, you know, they have the witch and the witch's daughter and everyone's like, stay away from them because they're, quote, like witches and they live on 666 whatever lane. Mm -hmm. Like, this is satanic panic time. Yeah. So, I mean, they're showing them, like, worshipping this appliance. And I think, and then the people that own that house that they went to are, like, freaked out by it. At first. And then they're like, get the camera. We got to... But then they freak them out by when they take their clothes yeah, off. Yeah, that's so weird. Like, <laughs> they disrobe or, like, they, they, they open have, up their They have, like, kitchen appliances. Their jackets and they have, like, yeah, all kinds of, <laughs> like, appliances to their, their body. And she's like, oh, as if they actually flashed like they were gonna naked die bodies or, or yeah. something like that. It's just a very weird scene, and I appreciated it for being weird. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to come back and actually be, you know, a useful scene because it was very long. Yeah, I mean that it. <laughs> it took a lot of time off the clock. I mean that is that that was just like a one shoot thing. It's like, hey, we prank people, not just our school. I don't know. Yeah, maybe <laughs> they're like maybe they just spend their whole lives pranking people. Uh, yeah, I can only assume it's probably like what you were saying before. It's like sort of like a not really a wink to the audience necessarily, but just like here's a scene to show you that these kids are just wacky kids. Yeah. And that's all you need to know. And it's memorable. Like, you're going to remember the appliance worship over yeah. anything else, I mean, even when, if it has yeah. nothing to do with the When rest that of the came movie. on, I was like, oh my God, I remember this. I don't know. Yeah, see, there you go. That's that's what it was there for. <laughs> and that's what a lot of these random scenes are there for. Um, it's not meant for people like me at this age. <laughs> so I totally understand that. Um, but yeah. Um, oh, the other thing we haven't talked about yet, the other major character we haven't talked about so far is uh, the substitute teacher 
Rita May, who uh, Jesse runs into while he's skateboarding the halls. Yeah. Um, and assumes she's a student until he says, uh, she she's says like, I'm a substitute for so-and-so. And then yeah. he's like, wait, you're a teacher? Because all the teachers there are like really old ladies, like old men yeah. or old ladies. They all have, you know, names like Mr. Cheese or Mrs. Grossman. Yeah, so, they know. all have like, yeah, gross names or whatever. So... Um, she, yeah, is not too much older than them, and, yeah, so obviously there's a big crush between Jesse and the teacher. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesse towards the teacher, not necessarily reciprocated, at least not until the end. Because, yeah. you know, kids movie. Um, <laughs> so, um, but she's I also mean, instrumental in, like, well, was she instrumental in getting the band into prom? Because yeah, she was one of the people that had to vote because she's a music teacher. Yeah, she was she was one of the ones who had to vote. But didn't she say that she did not vote for them? She says she did because oh. she's like, you're the best one out of all of them. But I thought she still didn't. I don't know. Oh. Maybe, I, maybe I misheard something. Maybe. I don't know. I, I know she said that you were the obvious best band out but they're of only, all yeah. of the ones that applied or tried out or whatever but there were only a few that that uh that were on that panel including coach spasm another good name that was only said like on the placard Mm. so yeah the names are funny the ones that they come up with yeah um so yeah she's there the substitute teacher is there she comes in and out of the plot whenever it's needed like we get to see her um teaching classical music to a class and that's intercut with was it them like filming all this stuff yeah i think it's when they were trying to set up all the preppy kids at that point because the um you know the one guy that opens the uh his um locker locker. and there's like a bunch of negligees and stuff but then they show him like dancing with the underwear or yeah, whatever. Yeah, like holding it up to his body and like feeling it and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, I think it was probably that type of stuff and like the firecrackers and whatnot possibly mm-hmm. was later. But, um, yeah, the, the whole intention of that was to sort of parallel the crescendo of the music with the crescendo of the prank. Yeah. And everyone is like falling in love with her as a teacher not necessarily as a person but as a teacher and it's like oh yeah, she can teach like, she can yeah, make classical she, music interesting and she's like you know classical music is like a football game and she thinks <laughs> yeah she's just dancing around yeah and saying random football terms it has nothing to do with the music at all right <laughs> um but then, yeah, she's only really there as a love interest to Corey Feldman's character, and that, you know, comes to fruition at the end, where she kisses him, even though she is the teacher and he's a student. The student, yeah. But it's like, they bring it up, and he's like, Would it, wouldn't it, like, how would it be when, you know, I'm 24 and you're 28 type of thing? Right. Which is fine. And she's like, you're a student right now, and I cannot. And she's like, and she doesn't even seem, like, interested in him at all. 
Yeah, they they don't have a flirty relationship. It's just it's him just like him. Her yeah, until like the end where she kisses him. She's like, "Oh, what am I gonna do with you?" And then she kisses him. Right. Hopefully nothing. I don't know. Like wait like till she's graduated and make sure he's eighteen first. I don't know. That'd be a good thing to do with him. But you know, we're not gonna expect rules and and laws to come into a movie where you know people with hooks for hands exist and you know people have like electrified fences and i mean this um, i mean the stuff that dr bader is doing is like right torture beyond yeah (laughs) not yeah beyond illegal (laughs) yeah and you have like you know a scene with like them panning across the cafeteria and like you have a gang with guns at the end you know yeah, I mean, it's their... So it's, you know, obviously it, we're just kind of like over-accentuating mm-hmm. one small part. Um, Dr. Vader, what do you think about a theory that that's actually the same character as Rock and Roll High School? Because I mean, it, she's... It's the same actress. Yes, so Mary Waranov is the only person who returns for the sequel. Um, she plays. She Dr. looks Vader like she here. like has not even aged. I know she really does look like yeah nothing's happened to her. Because um, she looks the same in the first movie as the second. And I was like, is that really her? But yeah, and she yeah. does not play a student in the first one. She plays the she main plays... villain disciplinarian in that one too. Yeah, she's like the I don't know. Is she the principal or she's the one that comes in in the first one as well? Mm-hmm. She's because she's not initially the principal. Well, no, she is. She's the principal of of Vince Lombardi High School. No, nah, she comes. She comes in with her, uh, her two with her lackeys. Two lackeys. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Same I thought she was. I thought she was the principal all along. I don't think so. I think she was brought in after um, something happened because she was introducing. Like you know, she came in. Um, she drove in, and um, P.J. Souls's character. I forget what her name was in the movie already. Riff she was, Randall. Riff. Yeah, she was playing the oh, okay. in the so, parking lot and, right yeah. yeah so it's like a like throughout the years it, vince lombardi high school kept on losing principals so she just came in as the replacement for the last principal that left there you go okay but yeah i mean we're looking at uh 12 years or so in between movies yeah and so you know she's here with a hook for a hand i i you I think, think she's be, like a robot now i think i mean i think there's a possibility that they could be the same character the thing that kind of throws it for a loop is that who is eagle bauer in relation to the original eagle bauer do you think that should have been clint howard like growing up i think he's an adult Yes, I think it, in a perfect world it should have been Clint Howard still there, just perpetual student or whatever. It, but I mean, yeah, who knows about Clint Howard? But like, yeah, it would have been cool for Clint Howard to reprise that role, and he is an adult who's in you know that back 
garagey yeah. place. Yeah, like that's no still in his a big office. Stall. He's now expanded into like a <laughs> maybe that's what it was meant to be, but maybe Clint Howard couldn't do that, and that's probably Eagle Bauer as an adult. Yeah, I don't know, but I don't know. I think that's sort of what throws a wrench into this whole thing is. You know, if Eagle Bauer exists and does actually have ties to the first movie's Eagle Bauer, then there should have been some recognition to say, oh yeah, Dr. Vader is actually, what's her name from the first movie? Or, you know, oh, she came back and she changed her name or she was in a psych ward. Because in the first movie, she basically goes, you know, they show her like on the verge of being institutionalized from all the Mm -hmm, events of the movie. Yeah. And so... We don't see anything happen to her hand in the first movie, but, you know, whatever. There's a case to be made that they are potentially the same person. Mm. And I wish they would, you know, they could have explored that. But I don't think the movie is written with that in mind. I think... uh, They just wanted to bring that actress in. Yeah, I I think she just happened to land the role. I don't think it was written for her. Mm. That's my guess. Um, That's sort of what we heard in that... uh, making of documentary as well yeah that we watched there's on youtube there's like an hour and a half long um documentary about the making of rock and roll high school forever as well um that goes into some of the details one of the interesting things that they said in that is that mary warnoff like had basically like broken her ribs before the shooting began and so she was doing that entire part with like you know injuries um and she's still killed it yeah (laughs) she's such a great villain i don't know and she's always played that too i mean she did um you've never seen death race 2000 no i don't think so she's calamity jane in death race 2000 if you've seen that she's like a she's like a queen of cult basically she's Mm, done all kinds of stuff like silent night bloody night and eating raul chopping mall warlock um she's also in the spiritual prequel to rock and roll high school called shake rattle and rock okay yeah. which uh, is renee zellweger it's the same director that did rock and roll high school um and then yeah mary warrenoff and then pj souls and then the uh, the person who plays pj souls's friend in the first one i forgot her name too um but so they have like three oh, recurring okay. they have three returning people and the director and it's like takes place in the 50s but it's like similar concepts so that'd be interesting to see I mean, yeah, I mean, the ending, it escalates. It does. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, because Dr. Vader, I mean, while prom is happening, you know, this is another prank that, you know, Jesse and maybe Jesse just did, who knows. Like, he gets some, like, stripper, like a male stripper or like a male escort or something. Someone who wants to be um, dominated. Yeah, to, but he like he, seduces. He's a naughty boy. Yeah, yeah, he seduces Doctor Vader. Yeah, and you know he climbs like she comes in to like park in her spot. He climbs on her car like all sexily or whatever, and he's like, "I need to use the phone." Do you know where there's a phone? Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, "You can use the." F-. She's like, "You can use the phone in my office." But then it quickly turns into like this dominatrix mm-hmm. scene where he. She she turns her like hook hand into like a hook whip. Yeah. Yeah, she has attachment. <laughs> and she's whipping him and, you know, licking him and whatever. And then obviously like Eagle Bauer is 
taping this. She mm-hmm. finds that out. She gets really mad. But they somehow show that immediately during prom, and everyone's like, you know, look at your principal type of thing. And she gets violent to the point where she's, like, driving her car around, like, wanting to run people over. Yes. <laughs> she is, <laughs> yes. She is now trying to kill people. She just wants she to kill. She is so, she's so mad, she's going to kill students and teachers. Yeah. It's Death Race 2000, come to life again. And, so maybe you she's... know, Jesse and his team have to save the day where Jesse's on right. his skateboard. <laughs> Because somehow, like, everyone else escaped, but Rita May did not, and she got pinned against the fence. And Jesse has to save And she was going to be run over by Dr. Vader. But yeah, Jesse comes with the skateboard and basically is like, hey, pick on somebody your own size type of a line. Yeah, and and then they set the whole... And then, school aflame again. Yeah, she crashes and she's into in the it. chemical labs, which blows up the school. Yeah, and she's in the school that's burning. Yeah, as far as we know, she's dead. Yeah. That's what they say. Um, but yeah, they reuse footage from the first movie <laughs> of, of the school blowing up, which was weird to see. But they do have enough original explosions in there. Um and, and there's quite a few, and yeah, they, they escape and happily ever after? I don't know, like, the actual principal I mean, doesn't seem to give a shit that the school has been destroyed. It's like, oh, we need a new one anyway. Right, I don't know. And a third <laughs> so, one? Because, I mean, this is the second... Yeah, who knows what... Yeah, the second high school to burn down. Who like, wouldn't they all lose their... Wouldn't after. whoever, like, the mayor or whoever be like, okay, we're... Right. I don't know. <laughs> authorities come in yeah who knows and be like okay you guys clearly cannot run a school so we're not gonna build a school who knows mm-hmm. oh that rock contest <laughs> it, i do kind of want to quickly mention that rock contest okay because like there's there's like the whole setup is like they at first it wasn't so much about playing prom they wanted to be famous basically be famous i guess yeah. so there's like a tv contest and that's where jones had set up the automated system to like vote for the eradicators but the prize was really weird because it made it sound like oh. they're going to to be like be a on the stage with this band yeah uh which is the pursuit of happiness was the band um we can talk about that more in the pop culture segment i guess sure um but then like when they won the guy comes and gives them the prize. The guy is Richard Blade. He's like a famous radio DJ in LA for a while. Now he, he's on First Wave, Sirius XM. Um, he gives them the tickets and says, you know, hey, you won. You get to. Uh, you can. You get to you play, get to play open for the band or your whatever. opening for the Pursuit of Happiness. And but here's, then here's your some prize. Here's front row tickets for that concert. You're gonna be. Playing, playing in, in maybe? yeah that's i was i know we were both it's like what's confused. the point of rigging the contest if it's just to sit and see it but they're gonna be in it and play in it unless they also get like after they play they also get front row seats like once they're done playing i but wouldn't the they also be in the backstage yeah, <laughs> yeah. backstage seats would be, but i don't know who knows yeah that was a little we never see that concert so it doesn't end up yeah. mattering. well because i mean while that once while they're getting their prize, they're being pursued while they're, like, going into school. 
Because they're like, aren't you the eradicators? Right. And they're like, oh, yeah. And then they have, you know, him and then this TV, like this whole TV crew following. Yeah, and and Dr. And Vader. Dr. Like, Va- yeah, Dr. Right Vader away. sees all of this and is like, nope, nope. And that was, that was it. That was the end. That's, yeah. <laughs> that was that the plot, end of the, <laughs> so they was done, <laughs> I guess. So they were like, okay, since we can't open for this band, let's play prom. Right. That was their next uh, goal. Yeah. So, like I said, a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff gets set up and it goes and they just want to play. Their, they just want to play their music. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, but do you so want to talk about... Kisses. Do you want to talk about the pee scene? We can. It's it's not saying much to say it's the best comedy bit in the whole movie, though. Okay. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so at one point, Dr. Vader basically says, uh, drugs, they must all be in drugs. That's what it is. And so she has mandatory drug tests given to all the students. Jones, Mag, and, and um, Namrock. Namrock go into the bathroom together. They're given a cup, cups yeah, by the two in. lackeys. And then they all go there. They have apple juice set up to squirt apple juice into the cups instead. Right, and they turn around. These lackeys are looking at them. They're like, hey, they're smelling their, quote, pee. Yeah, Namrock is like, hey... This, I don't, this know my pee. Well, I mean, come on. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to give an accent, but that's the exact line he says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, he's like, hey, this doesn't seem to be... This, isn't this my does pee. not seem to be my urine. <laughs> no, he doesn't say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't my... He's like, this know my pee. This yeah. know my pee. Right. I'll let you imagine how that's said. I mean, um, there's obvious... The making of documentary thing that we said, that we watched, I thought that they just brought him in to be a racial stereotype. Yeah, I mean, but this Stephen is like Ho, an obvious type of stereotype. It's like, bring in an Asian dude, let him do, you know, martial arts and yeah. not speak English well. But Stephen but, Ho, uh, yeah. who played the role, we'll talk about him in a second, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, he... He said that he made the decision to do all the karate kicks and shit. Yeah. Because that's, like, what he knew how to do. He wasn't an actor at all. This is his first acting role. Right. He was in karate competitions and, you know, other, like, martial arts yeah, competitions. Yeah, he was... I mean, yeah, we can sort of talk about him after. But, yeah, he, like, wanted to... He, yeah, he didn't even know what a casting call was. It's like yeah. he... I don't know how he got into wanting to be in this movie. I think because he just had no money... Probably. And, uh... And he was going to be in the movies with Jet Li in, in China, Yeah, but they... They... They were saying that, uh, since he didn't know, like, Mandarin... Like, he didn't know... Right, he didn't know Chinese at all. Chinese yeah. at all, or Mandarin, or... Whichever dialect yeah, is spoken in the right. region that they were going to. Because he's so... He's just, like, well-known for doing martial arts only. And, yeah, Jet Li was gonna cast him in all these hong kong movies or whatever that that's what he was saying like these hong kong movies so he had like an agent because of that or something like that but uh i guess that fell flat because he didn't know the language over there well he took this role instead of going there because this would get him a sag card and like you know whatever to go and they're saying like over there he may be like exploited and you know 
virtually mm. like left for dead because he didn't know the language yeah. and don't didn't know anybody. This is a much smarter move. But so. yeah, he even said that he to he, he didn't know what an audition was or anything. He just kind of showed up and all they said was bring a picture and he said that he brought a picture of him at like Disney World. <laughs> he he doesn't have like, you yeah, know, no headshot. Proper headshot or anything, but I mean, he got the role. He got the and role. And then I mean, after this, he he does like Ninja Turtles. Yeah, yeah. I honestly thought that he got the role because okay, so we'll just talk about him now, I guess. So he, he does a lot of stuntman stuff. Yeah. He's a stunt, stunt coordinator. Um, you may have seen him. I became aware of him from his um, appearances on Conan O'Brien, like back oh, in okay. the Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien, then also on his TBS show. He was there to do, like, stunts and teach Conan how to do stunts. Okay, okay. And so, like, that's how I learned of him. Um, but, yeah. We will sort of see Stephen Ho again in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Yes. Uh, because he is Donatello's stunt double. And I thought that he maybe got this part because of Corey Feldman's Corey role Feldman. as Donatello's voice in, in the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yeah. 1 and 3, but not 2. Um, but no, it's just like a weird coincidence that right. Stephen Ho did the stunts for two and three. Um, Corey Feldman did the voice for one and three. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they did not meet beforehand. It was not that connection that got him the role. Right. So, I don't know, back to the P. <laughs> <laughs> back to the P. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he says, this know my P. This know my P. He smell it. They all and like, like oh, him. Oh yeah, this isn't my P either. And they... Yeah, him, Mag, and Jones are smelling their cups of, quote, pee, and then they're, like, switching their cups. They taste their, quote, pee, which is apple juice, in front of these two lackey guys. Right. And like, oh, yeah, this is my pee. And they're like, oh, okay, this is my pee. And then they give it to the guys to get tested, and then the guys just go, eww, like the longest yeah. ew. yeah. And then that that's, was the end. That's the punchline. <laughs> I know, but that, that was the funniest. The the funniest part. I mean, yeah. the other parts that I I like the witch girl too. I like yeah, I like the characters. I just don't think they have funny lines. Well, I also yeah, I like Stella and the witch girl. I mean, I like all these people. Honest, like I don't yeah. hate anyone. Yeah, I, I I'm with but you I liked on that. her scenes where you know when they first meet her and she's you know they have third period lunch (laughs) which is like what 11 a.m lunch and she's there and she just wants to eat like the fat only Mm -hmm. and she mixes like milk with pepsi you know she's making a pie in the middle of her meat and stuff like that. right and and they just look at her like she's really strange and then you know her and mag they start dating right and you know, on one of their dates, she's she's just ordering like fat. She eats like sweets and fats and stuff like that, and sugar, like sugar, salt, fat, and booze. That was her four food that's groups. Food, that's what she legitimately thought the four food groups were. Yeah. And he was like, and Mag was like, no, you need a vegetable or something. Yeah, he's like, oh, you and know, those aren't like, those oh, are not really? the four food groups, and she's like, oh, they're not. And he's like, no, end of scene. Again, like, but there, then are, she there makes, are jokes written. She makes this face like, oh, thanks for enlightening me. But yeah, he's she like, makes no, like, you... this very goofy, like, grin and whatever. That, yeah. I don't know. So, 
That's what I'm saying. I like, there's like... there's no dialogue to make it funny. They could have like extended that scene and had jokes attached to it, but they didn't. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's still just like... like them progressing their relationship. Right. Sort of. I guess, but it's you know the characters are endearing. They're just not verbally funny. Okay. Um, Tabitha, played by Bryn Horrocks, probably best known for being Don Draper's mom on Mad Men. I'm assuming on the flashback scenes. I don't remember, like in later seasons. Yeah, she, like Whitman. She, um, but I thought, okay. Yeah, his mom. Yeah. Yeah, Don Draper. Yeah, Whitman. Whitman. The, <laughs> the Whitman mom. Yes. <laughs> the Whitman mom. Because yes, yes, if yes. you know the twist in Mad Men, <laughs> <Right. laughs> then you know that his real name isn't Don Draper. But yeah. uh, a spoiler alert. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> If we ever get into a podcast about that. Uh, probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Cast and crew that we haven't talked about yet. Um, we already talked about Corey Feldman to a degree and that we've mentioned his name a whole bunch and talked about TMNT. Um, everybody knows who Corey Feldman is, right? At this point, Stand By Me, Lost Boys, Goonies, Friday the 13th, uh, TMNT. Dream, to, to me, okay, I was obsessed. Gremlins. I was with, obsessed with the two Corys because of like Dream a Little Dream and the sequel, and then, like, License to Drive, and then, obviously, The Lost Boys. And then I used to watch The Two Corys that was on, like, MTV I before Corey Haim died. I've never seen Dream a Little Dream. I, those movies I was obsessed with. Oh, I was obsessed with The Two Corys. Like, I didn't have crushes on them. I was just, like, obsessed with them. Like, they, I wanted to be their friend. Stuff. Like, they're... I don't know. They had, like mass appeal movies like why wouldn't yeah. you want to watch the stuff that they're in when like all of it's gold for a long time yeah um but yeah instead of Corey Haim in this one we have Evan Richards as Mag who kind of looks like Corey Haim honestly yeah um, I, that's I was wondering I mean because I was like what was Corey Haim doing at that time I don't think I was afforded both of them maybe and this then, is a very low budget thing yeah that because I was like you know is was that on purpose that they, they made him look like Corey Haim? Yeah, Jeffrey Brock said in that documentary that it was not on purpose. Yeah, but it was like he really does look like Corey Haim. It's it's like the hair and everything. Well, you know who else people thought he looked like? Hmm. Uh, looked like Bill S. Preston Esquire from Bill and Ted's. Because well, of the adventure. curly hair. Well, because he uh, played him in the live-action series, <laughs> <laughs> and also he did the voice of Bill on the animated series as well. Uh, they credit the live-action series as having 13 episodes. I thought it was just a one-episode pilot that never went off the ground, but maybe they did produce a whole season and just um, I never knew. But he was Bill in both the live-action and the animated series that came out uh, after he was also in a 1991 movie, Dream Machine, Midnight Fear. He was also in Down and Out and Beverly Hills, both the TV series, which evidently there was one for that as well, as hmm. well as the movie. But um, yeah, he was really good. He was, he was a good comedic actor, just didn't have any lines. That's sort of the running thing, in my opinion, for all these people. Uh, Leanne Curtis was Stella. She had been in 16 Candles, Critters 2. Uh, she was the lead role in Girlfriend from Hell. Uh, she's also in 1991, three different 1991 movies, 
Besides this, Queen's Logic, Reason for Living, The Jill Ireland Story, and Wild Orchid 2, Two Shades of Blue. So we'll get to see Stella some more. And the yuppie gang, but one of the guys, Jason Lively, played Donovan, like yeah, uh, yeah. The, the virgin who didn't want to go anywhere and he had like lingerie on in front of right, him. Right, yeah. Um, I didn't... I didn't know this about him, uh, but he was rusty in National Lampoon's European Vacation. Because I don't think I've ever seen European Vacation. I saw it and I forgot that I forgot. Yeah, so... <laughs> like, I, I know think... what happens in that movie, but I... Like, I don't know who played uh, even the sister. Like, was it still, like, Juliette I Lewis? I didn't Because look... I know Juliette I... Lewis was... I know they they swapped Rusty's out every movie, didn't they? Right. But I don't know if they swapped out the sister. I thought they also swapped out sisters as well. It could be. I really don't know. Okay. Uh, But he's also half-brother of Blake Lively, if you want to know about that. He's also directed um, shorts called Learn to Hip Hop. So. Mm, Okay. Um, Jones. We haven't talked too much about Jones other other than... um, he was in the 1991 movie Grand Canyon as, uh, oh, I almost said as well as Stella, but no, like Queen, Queen's Logic and Grand Canyon, two different indie movies. Um, he was also on A Different World for about a season, and he was also on a TV series called Ask Harriet. Have you heard of this mo- uh, thing? It's like 1998? No. Uh, it's, it's one of these TV shows where a man loses his job and has to get it back by dressing like a woman. Um, he is okay. not the person who dresses like a woman. I guess he plays like the friend to the person who cross dresses. So there are a lot of those shows that pop up every once in a while. Um, probably the second. Well, it's arguable as to who has had the most successful career besides Corey Feldman. Um, we got Michael Cerberus. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce his last name. The guy who played Eagle Bauer. Okay. He's had a lot of success on Broadway. He is a two-time Tony Award winner, uh, once in 2004 for Assassins, and then once again in 2015 for Fun Home. Um, he also, on Broadway, has played Tommy in the musical Tommy, uh, and also Hedwig in Hedwig and Angry Inch. Um, he's also been on the Fame TV series, Fringe, Mindhunter, and Gotham. Um, and he'll be in the 1991 movies Steel and Lace and Strangers. I thought, honestly, even though he wasn't Clint Howard, he was a really good actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he def- definitely did not seem like he fit in overall. Um, and then Rita May, played by Sarah Buxton, she may also possibly be the most successful just in terms of longevity. Um, she's like a soap queen, basically. Um, she's been on 195 episodes of Bold and the Beautiful played a villain in that um days of our lives she did 22 episodes 549 episodes of sunset beach so she's been on a whole bunch of stuff um she's in two other 1991 tv movies that are not on our list because we cannot find ways to watch them seeds of tragedy and pink lightning and we've also already seen her once before can you guess the movie I looked it up. Oh, I knew. <laughs> well, I because I always look these people up too. Yeah, she yeah. was in. Can Don- you can you the audience guess what movie? <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll pause for five minutes uh, <laughs> while people just go on Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
She yeah, she was one of like Sue Ellen's friends in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Yeah. The redhead, I'm assuming. But... Probably. The one that looks like her. <laughs> the one that probably dressed up as the nurse or I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I, I don't remember which one it was either. Um, so yeah. Or that's... the bellhop. <laughs> so a, a big crew, a big cast. Um, and that's, oh, the only other person we haven't really talked about is Mark Governor who was um, the composer and also the band leader of Zillion Kisses, but we could talk about him in terms of the pop culture segment, which we could probably get into now if you wanted to. Yeah. Do you have any true crime to mention? I mean, the true crime we already sort of talked about was, like, Corey Feldman. I I mean, I learned a lot just from... We watched the documentary Forever. It's called Forever the untold story of rock and roll high school forever and they talk all they obviously didn't talk to the guy who created this obviously didn't talk to Corey feldman but he seemed to be like a really big Corey feldman fan mm-hmm. and he just talked to a lot of the like whoever he can get a hold of was able to talk to him and it was stephen ho leanne curtis a um Bryn Horrocks and then maybe just a couple of other like one of the yeah, Deborah Brock was in there the director uh, yeah one of the producers one of the there. producers and, and then like an one of the old yeah an extra but then one of the older guys like I think one of the two sidekicks yeah, Charles Nolan I think yeah Ray yeah one or, of the two or, sidekicks or Michael Monks who played Dale I don't remember which one I think it was Michael Monks of yeah, one of Dr. Vader's sidekicks. Mm-hmm. So it was like, you know, like five or six cast members and just interviewing them. But they all were like, yeah, Corey Feldman obviously had a drug addiction. He was snorting heroin like the entire time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it. and then they do talk about his arrest and then the reason why this movie didn't go into theaters. They think it was because... He, his arrest right around the time this was done and, and then, also possibly why the soundtrack number was released as well was because yes his songs being and there. then also why he didn't get the voice role for donatello for the second movie because right. i think he was gonna go to rehab yeah or That's he was likely. told to go to rehab he got clean as far as we know he i mean seems like he's been he's been i don't i i know he's clean now i don't know how long he's been clean but yeah i, mean, I do just they also had I mean, nothing but nice things to say about him as a person yeah he didn't the they were problem they, like, they yeah, were just was, like yeah other than that other than him doing drugs i mean they they were like yeah we smoked pot all the time on set but i mean we weren't doing heroin and like how he was the only one just doing heroin and then he would come out and they were like he was able to do his job (laughs) he was a nice guy and everything yeah he was just on drugs i mean yeah, and he's obviously he's from, been like, through his... a lot in his life. <laughs> yeah, so. it, it's they talk. I mean, if you ever watched the two Corys, I mean, that like opened my eyes like big time. Yeah, he's like one of the first people to talk about like child abuse in the entertainment industry. Yeah, length, and continues to be a advocate for uh, children actors' rights and. Um, right, and he was like protection. one of the first people. Like even his parents were like really abusive to mm-hmm. him. And he was, like, one of the first child actors to be, you know, emancipated. Right. 
at yeah. like the age of 15. So, I mean, he pretty much... But he still had his parents in his life as like management at this point, from what I was reading. Like his dad took over around this time from his mom. Yeah, but they took all of his money. Right. But I'm, yeah. So even though he was emancipated, they were still actively involved like managing in his him. career by being right. his manager. Yeah. So he just got to not live under the same roof and whatnot and be an adult in terms of the law or whatever. I don't know fully how emancipation, uh, emancipation works, but yeah. Yeah. And I don't know who he lived with after being emancipated from them. I'm not sure. But yeah, um, hopefully he's doing well now. We'll see him again in 1991 movie Edge of Honor at some point. Uh, pop culture. I mean, pop culture. So, I mean, this movie was released. I mean, music-wise, we can just talk about the so- soundtrack because this movie was released like a week after Europa and then like a week before Pit and the Pendulum. So we're like right in the middle of yeah. May. We covered those like very recently. Yeah, so all the music... <laughs> that I could talk about was already talked about. Yeah. So we can talk about this soundtrack if you want. Yeah, absolutely. Because they do go into that in the document. I, I don't know. I like the documentary. Documentary I mean, the- was, yeah, it was helpful. I wish, the only thing I wish it was different about it is go into more of like the cult status of the movie and talk about the fandom. Yeah, I wish I that think, would have been possible. Yeah, but just like- to, I mean, I think it was just like a real, he was a fan of that movie and was like, let me bring it back because a lot of people don't know that this is really a cult film it seemed like something of a pandemic project for him yeah it was like released in 2020 and everything was done through like zoom and yeah yeah, yeah. so it seemed like it was just like quickly put together um not poorly put together but quickly put together and you know if he would have been able to get out into public and interview more people um could have added that aspect to it his name is Aiden Gonzalez, by yes. the way. <laughs> I don't want to be like, well, this we'll guy. We'll link to it in the website. Uh, he doesn't know we're even talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't um, want to be like saying, oh, oh yeah, you know, this, di- this random guy. Because, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Just talk about the director of this documentary. Um, but yeah, if you're interested in the movie enough to listen to us, go watch that. Um, we've talked in terms of music. We already talked about Mojo Nixon, I think, extensively enough, right? Um, we have The Pursuit of Happiness, who did the theme song, the Rock and Roll High School Forever theme song, which I initially hated when I was, like, mm, first But then we were, it. you were singing it, like, after it was I, over. It was good. It was catchy enough. <laughs> I, know. I don't know. I guess I hated it because it was, like, not punk rock. Mm. But then, like, I don't know. I got over that aspect of it. And, like, yeah. So The Pursuit of Happiness, a Canadian band, um... They went platinum in Canada back in like 1988 or so. Um, their biggest hit, I think, is a song called "I'm an Adult Now," which is briefly featured it's shown in this in the movie. movie in the video. I think. Yeah, I think so. It's like part of like the rock TV contest. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they also did the theme song for this, uh, and they also did a song for the 1990, 1991 movie "South of Wawa." So we'll come across their music again at some point on this podcast but yeah they they were kind of going to i don't know like 
the movie in terms of the script made it sound like the pursuit of happiness was going to be like the band like the ramones were going to be the band mm. of the movie and then it just went nowhere <laughs> but uh yeah they did the theme song at least and it's a decent theme song um and then the other big act is mark governor and zillion kisses <laughs> okay um they were the uh the prom people Right, and then and they, they have the this song, song called Love at the Laundromat. <laughs> yeah, Love at the Laundromat, <laughs> which is very, like... It's, like, really it's cheesy. cheesy, but yeah. it's also, like, gets in your head. Yeah, it's cheesy, goofy fun. Yeah. Yeah, and they they were supposed to be the band that plays at the prom. Right. And we didn't talk about their scene. Like, they're, they have, like, a... Uh, I thought it was kind of funny. I mean, they've been pranked by Jesse and, you know, his sidekicks about you know oh the prom is gonna be here at this day and time and then they're like in some random warehouse somewhere and they're like prom is usually on a friday right like they're like it's friday yeah. it's 7 p.m and they're like yesterday was thursday tomorrow is saturday today is friday right like it's just them talking yeah, like wondering like, did we, we are... make a mistake yeah exactly <laughs> and then but the, they keep cutting back and forth like the actual prom and then them going are we like still gonna play like i don't know mm-hmm. i thought that was funny sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay i guess not i mean i mean <laughs> it's just been overdone all right oh uh, yeah but the song is fun <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah and then you I have a lot of Co- Corey Feldman and the eradicator song and it's like them doing they have the like three songs that are theirs but they're all, and, like, written by Walk the Moon. Yes. Not the current band called... Because I think there's... Like there's, a, like, a current band There's called a current Walmart. band called yeah. Walk the yeah, Moon. Yeah. Not related. It's an older one that's the same name. Yeah, which, in the documentary, the guy Aiden, who made it, he saw Corey Feldman with, you know, his current band playing one of the songs, like, at a concert, like, maybe two, three years ago. Yeah. And he shows them... And the song, Dare Dreamer. Yeah. So he, you know, Corey Feldman's still playing Rock and High School songs. Corey Feldman, like, puts his all into the musical performances. Yeah. Too. Like, it's nothing about his performance in this movie is, like, fully phoned in. Um, but, yeah, when he's, like, doing the musical side of the thing, that's where you can tell, like, that's where most of his effort is going. And Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, and then it, he does, like, covers of older songs, like Tutti Frutti, and then mm. I'm Walking. Yeah, the Fast Domino the one. The Fast Domino one, yeah. And then there's a couple of well-known bands, like Jesus Jones mm-hmm. and the Divinals. They have a couple songs on there. And, I mean, I don't, I kind of wish this soundtrack was release because i didn't mind the music yeah i mean it it probably again would have been something that would have been better at the time yeah i don't don't think i would seek it out now personally i mean i kind of would like if any of these songs are on spotify then (laughs) i'll listen to them just because I i think some of them are except for um the theme song, I think they were saying that, that never actually got released anywhere officially. Yeah, yeah. And then also the Dee Dee Ramone song that plays in the background. Yeah, that's that hard was, to... That was never officially released either. Mm-hmm. 
So that's the only actual, like, you know, semi-connection is there's a D.D. Ramon song um, that plays in the background of one scene. Mm-hmm. That's it for music, right? Yeah. I mean, now I'm going to go on to TV because this movie was released on a Thursday. On store shelves, which is weird because I don't know when that changed, but when I was working... Typically, the uh, new releases hit Tuesdays. Oh, okay. I thought they would be. They Fridays, probably changed that at some point mm-hmm. in between 1991 and when I worked at the video store, like you know, ten years later. Yeah. So, um, okay, May 23rd, 1991 was a Thursday, and there's a lot of shows that I want to ask you about. Okay. Or a few, I guess. <laughs> okay. Start starting on ABC. 8 p.m. Father Dowling Mysteries. Yeah. Have, oh, did you watch this? My parents are big mystery people. Okay. So, like, you know, Murder, She Wrote, um, Detective Poirot, like, you know, Columbo. Yeah, Father Dowling. Yeah, I know who Father Dowling is. Okay. Do you know any, like, any anything about it or who's no. in it? No, I just know that it's something my mom and dad would have watched. Okay. It's it's a show that features a Catholic priest, Father Dowling, who mm-hmm. solves murders, abductions, and other mysteries in his Chicago parish, assisted by a young nun, Sister Stephanie. And this show lasted three seasons, and Father Dowling was played by Tom Bosley. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I don't know. For some reason, I thought that just based off Father Dowling Mysteries, it sounds like it'd be a PBS show. So like the biggest yeah, this is like an ABC show. Yeah, that's the biggest like surprise to me is that it was ABC and Tom Bosley, the dad from Happy Days, right? A PBS show starring random white haired old man. The the weird thing is that this movie start well, it started off as a TV movie that was released in nineteen eighty seven. Oh, okay. And so they probably had like a special event movie and then it got popped. And then it was three seasons and the third season ended May 1991. So we're at the Oh. We're at the end of the third season. Okay. Or at the end of the entire series, yeah. I guess. <laughs> so that's the first show I was going to ask you about. After that was My Life in Times. That one doesn't sound familiar, no. Okay, this is, I was, I was like blown away. I don't, I've never heard of this and it's only one season, six episodes, but it's a TV show set in 2035 and 2036 Hmm. and it's a series focused on 85 year old former journalist by the name of Ben Miller and he's in his rocking chair at a retirement retreat like talking about his past lot like ex- life experiences and each episode is like a dramatization of what he went through in the past one of them is the 1989 San Francisco earthquake okay that's a whole episode and then another one was the 1987 stock market crash so it's a show set in the future but talking about to past allow them to talk about current day yeah pretty much <laughs> like stuff that happened like three to four yeah. years ago remember this <laughs> <laughs> and 
Tom Irwin. I don't Remember know. Remember when Father Dowling Mysteries was <laughs> right. on the air? So the, it was. It starred Tom Irwin. Do you know who that is? Not by name. He was the dad in My So-Called Life. Oh, okay. I never watched that. Oh, really? No. Oh, okay. And other people in this movie, or not movie, TV series, it was only six episodes, it was Megan Mullally and Helen Hunt. Huh. I wonder if they did any episodes about, like, future times. Uh, I, can just, like, well na- I can name the episodes. Okay. So the first episode was is current, uh, current quote, current day. It says April 9th, 2035. Who knows what's going on in 2035 yeah. according to I, this show. I want to know. The second ep- episode is called Our Wedding. So probably, I mean, he's probably talking to like his kids or grandkids. Sure. About what he's been through yeah. throughout life. Right. And then there's one about the turn of the millennium. So Ooh. we're talking about like 1999. Let's watch this show. <laughs> if we can find it. <laughs> I'm curious now. <laughs> I just, I've never heard I of this. I want to know what the past like, thinks the future is. Yeah, yeah. I like watching stuff like that where like where they think 2021 yeah. is like supposed the best to be. <laughs> part of like Epcot Center as a kid or like Wisconsin Dells. Like future. When they have, like, future world. And yeah. Stuff. Yeah. All right, so <laughs> after My Life and Times, um, there was a Primetime Live after that. You know, it was like a news show. Yeah, just show. news magazine. On CBS, we had a show called Top Cops. Have you heard of this? It sounds familiar. This is like a documentary-style program. And it was, for th- it went on from 1990 to 1993. It's comedy? No. No? It's okay. like, it just features like police officers and dramatic recreations of the events leading to like, it's like honored, honoring a oh. police officer. So like, it's sort of like and it's cops like, meets, on, it's like solved mysteries. Yeah. Okay. But... It's like re they're doing like dramatic recreations, so it's like not even them playing themselves, you know. Sure, sure. But you know, it'd be like um forensic files or whatever. Right. Same basic concept. <laughs> yeah. Forensic files, but cops doing quote good deeds, who knows? Sure. That was that lasted three years. Okay, that sounds more familiar. After that was a show called The Antagonists. No. That sounds like a drama thing. I wouldn't care about that. Yes, it's a legal drama. And I was like, ooh, this is exciting. I don't know. <laughs> like season one, it's only first, it's only one season. It had nine episodes. Okay, it's between two um, lawyers. One of them, Jack Scarlett, played by David Andrews. And I looked him up and the only thing that I can see him, he was in Terminator 3. Hmm, okay. <laughs> Which he played Lieutenant General Robert Brewster. He was a future lawyer. Yes. <laughs> and then the other lawyer was Lauren Holly. Okay. Put that put that show in twenty thirty five and then let's watch oh, it. Oh, it could be like the good wife or something. <laughs> good good fight. I don't know. Um after that was the AFI Life Achievement Award. Okay. 
they do this every year and they still do it now where they just dedicate a whole hour to someone. And this was in dedication of Kirk Douglas. And they televised it? Yeah. Like, I mean, I guess I understand that they would televise it back then. But it's still going on because I was like, is this, but I don't know if it's they, televised. Yeah, they might not televise it anymore. Yeah, I just thought that was weird. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, TV was full of like retrospectives and like let's honor our... I mean, yeah, this is early 90s where, I mean, cable wasn't, I mean, cable was around, but you're not, you don't have, like, cable shows and stuff like that. Um, Okay, on Fox, we got The Simpsons. I've heard of it, yes. After that was an episode of Babes, which we talked about. Sure, yeah. A couple episodes about. Those were the three overweight sisters living together. After that, I was probably watching this, Beverly Hills 90210. I was not. And, uh, yeah, we know that because we played a trivia game and you didn't know what David Silver did. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So after on NBC. He was, you know, the high school DJ because, you know, every high school has to have a DJ. I mean, watch, okay, watching <laughs> I don't <know>. that. I don't, <laughs> watching that, I was like, I, okay, I was like 10. I was like, I can't wait to go to high school because I want to be the DJ. <laughs> There's no such thing. No. I wanted to be the <laughs> <No>. DJ. <laughs> you should have. You well, should have made yourself make that. I don't role. know. I was like, that's what I want to like do. Hang posters on the walls and like you know, and play music throughout class. Yeah. Like I don't know. Like this person for president, like Nikki for DJ. I don't know. Whatever. That's watching Missed that and like chance. seeing that. I was like, oh, I want to do that someday, and I never did. No. <laughs> okay, on NBC, we have the Cosby Show. A different world after that. Not yet starring Patrick Malone. He would come in later. Mm, yeah. And uh, after that was Cheers. And then after that was Seinfeld. And it was the episode called The Chinese Restaurant. And I, that's one of the best episodes. <laughs> that was the first airing of Chinese Restaurant? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, that's a very good episode. Yeah, no, <laughs> And I'm is. pretty sure... It's a classic. It's, yes. It's a well-known classic. And I'm pretty if you, sure if you no know, one you drinks know. their own pee in that one. No. <laughs> Elaine does try to go up to a table and eat an egg roll, but then she chickens out. <laughs> she just goes up and she's like, hi, I'm really hungry and my friends will pay me $50 if I eat something from your table. Mm-hmm. And, then she, and then it's just... It's a bunch, a table, a bunch of old people, and they're like, "Huh?" And then she just kind of runs away. <laughs> on to rankings and ratings, then. So I think we're gonna differ quite a bit on this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on, on your one to five star scale, where would you put Rock and Roll High School Forever? <laughs> Movie a three. <laughs> okay. That's not bad. Um, <laughs> on my zero to four star scale, I honestly, I'm probably gonna put it at a half. Hmm. Look, low star ratings don't necessarily mean that they're unwatchable or that they're, like, not fun. I know, It just yeah. means that they're not good on a technical movie-making level. Okay. So that's that's where I'm going with that. In terms of would you watch it again, because every movie is worth watching once, but would you watch it again? Yes, I would watch this again. Yeah, I would too. 
So, like, you know, there are definitely half-star movies that I would watch again, including, like, Slumber Party Massacre 2. That's yeah. pure shit. It's a zero-star movie. But, but something that fun. still makes me mad, <laughs> A Kiss Before Dying, yes. should never be watched ever. Yeah, yeah, Unless exactly. you want to watch because we hate that movie. Or I hate <laughs> it more than you do, maybe. Yeah, yeah I mean, I could... Um, watch it for the first five minutes and then turn it off. Right. Um... Yeah, this one's worth watching again. Other bad movies, not so much, but this one is a this one is a bad movie worth watching again. But if you out there want to watch Rock and Roll High School Forever, as of this recording in July 2021, it's only available on VHS or DVD. But always, as always, check your local listings because it may show up on streaming at some point in the future. Um, as for us, you can listen to us on all of the major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. It really helps us out a lot. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. Just search 1991movierewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're continuing our school theme, and we're going to watch Fight Back to School. That's only available on YouTube, unless you want to get like a bootleg DVD. Um, we'll see you then.